Hi, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio, back with a good friend, Ingrid Kalkvist. She is an independent journalist and author. She's based in Sweden. Ingrid, do you know it has been 274 days since we last chatted? Almost nine months. And, well, it seems to me that quite a lot has happened uh, since then. I wonder if you could give us uh, what you see as going on on the ground in Sweden these days as the crisis appears to be escalating to a near boiling point. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't know it was nine months ago. It seems like more like three months ago, but okay, I I trust you. Well, a lot of things has been going on, and um, I think as I told you last time, Sweden is on a fast track to disaster. And what we've seen the last nine months is just more and more of that. More and more politicians just, you know, just closing their eyes, closing their ears, don't want to to listen to the people. Uh, And the journalists are all by, you know, standing by the government, never writing any interesting stuff that people need to know. So we're in a very bad situation. Well, it's not just that the government is not speaking out against issues facing the um, Swedish population, particularly Swedish women, they seem to be actively avoiding information, right? There have been information requests put in by journalists uh, and other independent thinkers in Sweden for government for the government to release statistics about immigrants and crime, and uh, they have studiously avoided doing so. Uh, so it's not just that they're not talking about it. They seem to be preventing others from talking about it as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we had this uh, ban for statistics about ethnicity and religion and so on for a lot of years. I don't know, 10, 20 years, something like that. But you could actually know something about it by, you know, a researcher doing his own study. Then you can find out. You can go to the courts and see which people have been convicted and so on. But but we don't keep statistics on every crime, every crime reported, who is who is this person, what ethnicity, what uh, citizenship does he have, um, and and the Sweden Democrats, who is the only party in the Swedish Parliament actually, you know, wanting to do something about this, they actually just a few weeks ago they 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 put a question in the Parliament saying we need another study about this, who are who are committing all these rapes and and all these murders and so on. And they decided, no, we are not going to ask the authorities to make another study. So why don't they want to do that? Well, I know, but what what are they saying? Well, they say we had... We have had such studies, and the latest one was from 2005, and it showed that immigrants, especially not not all immigrants, you know, immigrants are very different. You you, you can't compare Chinese immigrants with Iraqi immigrants, for example. Uh, but they said that we we know that the minorities in Sweden are overrepresented. So we already know that. We don't have to make another study. Uh, But the problem is the reason why they're overrepresented is because of socioeconomic factors. Oh, so this is the argument, of course, that you hear all the time, that uh, it's poverty that breeds criminality. And um, it's very easy to rebut that just using a couple of examples around the world. Uh, The Appalachians uh, in America is um, almost significantly on by far the poorest neighborhoods in America, uh, but crime rates are not high. Now, it's it's a white population, European-based population, so the idea that poverty immediately breeds crime, uh, during the Great Depression, uh, there was massive amounts of poverty. You had unemployments, uh, unemployment into 20, 25, 30 percent in various places. Crime didn't 
didn't go up. No, it's not that uh, poverty breeds, cr- breeds crime. It's that criminal tendencies breed poverty because nobody wants to do business there. Uh, social decay occurs. Single mother families occur. It is the immorality that breeds the economic destitution, not the other way around. Yeah. And of course, and even if it was true, even if it was only socioeconomic factors, you could say, well, if that is the case, then maybe don't bring in so many immigrants to Sweden because they will all, you know, end up in these, we don't call them ghettos in Sweden, we call them exclusion areas because we are so nice and we don't want to talk about the real problems. But if that is the case, if all of them are, you know, going to end up in these ghettos, become poor and, and, and never become a part of society, then maybe that is even, even if that was true, that would be a really good um, uh, reason not to let so many immigrants into Sweden, the, the kind of immigrants that we are, you know, taking in right now. Well, there is, of course, frustration in the immigrant community as well. I mean, the expectations that they had, of course, that they were going to get their own house and girlfriends and, and jobs yep. and, and so on. Even expecting that uh, is, um, to me, not the most intelligent perspective. I mean, if I suddenly move to Japan and don't speak Japanese, the idea that I'm going to have a fluid uh, participation in Japanese society immediately, despite looking different, sounding different, not speaking the language, not having the cultural history, uh, not even yep. adapting to the vagaries of climate and so on, would be uh, a silly expectation for me to have. And this frustration, I don't, I don't envy the lives of the um, the migrants as well, because they're kind of just stuck there. They're doing nothing. They're bored. They can't get girlfriends. They can't get jobs. Uh, it is taking them from where where they used to be, which was at least productive members within their own societies, to becoming, uh, you know, we all have this fantasy of a life of ease and leisure and, and no demands. But boy, the moment we get it, it seems to sort of start to rot our brains and turn our souls to mush. Yeah. And, you know, we, we have seen a lot of uh, asylum seekers this last half month. Uh, six months or something like that, saying that uh, they don't actually want to stay and wait for asylum if they're going to get it or not, because they think it takes long, uh, too long time, and they the things they are getting, you know, the houses and the food, so it's not up to their expectations. So some of them, not a lot, but you know, a few thousand, they have already gone back to Iraq or Syria, whatever. Uh, but the problem is that these people, they actually did believe that when they came to Sweden, they would get their own house, they would get a blonde girlfriend, and so on and so on. But the biggest problem, I think, one of the biggest problems we have right now is that we have a uh, what's it called in English? You know, the population, it usually it is we have more women than men, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Uh, but now we, Sweden is in a far worse situation than ever China was. You remember the one child policy yes. they had in China and the Swedish newspapers and television, everything, they were so worried about these, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Oh, what's going to happen to China? They have too many boys, la, 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 la. Now in Sweden, we have in the population of teenagers, 16 to 17 year olds, there are 127 boys on 100 girls. That is crazy. And do you understand what will happen? I mean, already now we have so many rapes, so many girls being molested by by boys. And what will happen? So many boys will never get a girlfriend. Never, never, ever. So, you know, we are in for so much more trouble 
and nobody's reporting on it. Nobody. Well, I mean, it is a truism across the world and throughout history that a large cohort of men who won't settle down or can't settle down into um, marriage and, and fatherhood, they will turn to problems, problematic social behaviors, to put it as nicely as humanly possible. The, the two great um, ways that society tames charging testosterone is, first of all, to get young men married, which lowers their testosterone. And secondly, when they become fathers, their productivity increases yeah. and their testosterone physically, testosterone is very environmentally based in terms of its cues. It's less genetic than most of our traits. And so if you bring a lot of young men in who can't get married and won't become fathers, then you find no way to tame their wild masculine energy and put it to the general utility of society. And this is a biological uh, fact. It occurs at a hormonal level, and it can't be wished away by mad leftist social policies. No. And nobody, as I told you, nobody's even talking about it. There was this American uh, professor, she wrote an article in a Swedish newspaper a year ago saying, you are in for a lot of trouble. And that's everything we've seen about it. No one is talking about it. And and no one is talking about all these rapes. You know, the sweet, the media, they don't even report who are committing all these rapes. They, they, they refuse to report it because they say it's socioeconomic factors and la, la, la. So... I know because I read a lot of alternative media and I go to the sources myself and because you, you actually can find out a lot of things if you really want to do it. And then I see that the, the, the worst perpetrators of rape in Sweden right now are, are guys from Afghanistan and from Somalia. Those are the two um, most uh, critical groups, so to say. They are the ones that are committing most of the rapes. And also almost all of the gang rapes you know gang rape was no one ever heard about a gang rape in sweden until i know i don't know 10 15 years ago and and you know there are so many studies even from the un saying that afghanistan is the most dangerous country in the world for women why? They get raped, they get beaten up, and it is really a horrible country for women. So we have a lot of these Afghani young boy, young boys, they're saying they are young boys, a lot of them are, you know, 25, 30, 35 years old, but they all say they are 16 or 17, because they, then they get asylum more easy. And they come here, and suddenly Swedish authorities and politicians and journalists, they actually believe that as soon as they come to Sweden, they will totally change. You know, they will not have anything with them from their culture, their tradition, their religion, nothing. But, of course, that's not true. They will behave. Okay, they come from a country where all the women are, you know, like this. You, you can't see anything. If a woman is, if a woman is out on the street, she is probably a whore. Uh, and 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 then they come to Sweden and they see all these blonde girls with blonde hair, you know, la la la, and 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 mini skirts and so on. And they rape them because Swedish girls also, you must understand this, Swedish girls have been taught uh, in school by their parents that you cannot make any difference between people. They're all the same. You cannot discriminate. If 
an Afghani boy wants to talk to you, you should be as nice to him as if it was a Swedish boy. So a lot of these girls, they have been fooled into thinking that everybody is the same. So if I want to, I can go with an Afghani boy as well as I could go with a Swedish boy. And if I don't want to have sex with him, I can always say, sorry, I changed my mind. But that's not going to happen. I mean, the risk is so much greater if you go with an Afghani boy, for example. And and I think that is the maybe the worst of all. This is such a treason against all young Swedish women, not telling them to, you know, discriminate. You have to discriminate. You have to be, you know, you have to think to be, to be, not to be stupid. Well, there's a, it's a lot in what you said. One of the things that as a white Western male, it's a little frustrating is that uh, feminists have been sort of nagging at white Western males for 150 years. And apparently we haven't changed enough and we haven't adjusted enough and we don't have the right mindset and we're still patriarchal and we're still sexist and we're still misogynist. This is after 150 years of patient listening and extending just about every conceivable rights, some I would say too far and unjustly for women. So after 150 years or so of nagging Western men, Feminists say, well, you know, you haven't adjusted enough and it hasn't worked out enough and you're still, you know, terrible patriarchs and so on. But don't worry, these Afghanis and Iraqis, the moment they touch down, they're going to be perfect gentlemen. Like, this makes no sense to me at all. If, if, if white Western males can't change enough to satisfy women uh, feminists after 150 years, how on earth is three days on Swedish soil going to change an Afghani into becoming much more enlightened than your average white Western male? It just makes no sense to me at all. Now, let's turn to this. Um, uh, it's, a, it's a horrible subject to talk about, but it is uh, necessary. Uh, this um, three-hour streamed rape that occurred recently that was broadcast to a private Facebook group and was eventually reported to the police and uh, you could see I think on the recording or on the video when the police uh, came in that this woman who was largely unconscious uh, was repeatedly uh, I believe sexually assaulted and um, mm. has this done anything? Sometimes it takes uh, a, a vivid, ugly, vicious, evil con conflagration to rouse people from their dogmatic slumbers. Uh, Ingrid, has this done anything to jolt people into any kind of concern about some of these policies? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think it's too too early to tell if it really is going to make any difference. Uh, but what we experienced was uh, last weekend there was this um, these three guys in an apartment in a Swedish town called Uppsala, and uh, this Facebook group is called the big Facebook group without rules. Uh, so that might give you some idea about what you can do in this group. But it was not a small group. It had 80,000 members. And uh, this night, there are three, three guys. One is a Swedish citizen. He is, he is from Iran, I think. Um, but he came here when he was just a small boy. And the other two, they are asylum seekers from Afghanistan. And uh, they brought this uh, 30-year-old woman to the Iranian guy's apartment. And they were all very, you know, uh, drunk. And I think the woman was also stoned on some things. I don't know. She she looked very like she she wasn't really there. And... In the middle of the night, the Iranian guy who has the apartment, he decided it was a really cool thing to stream 
what was happening in his apartment out onto all the, the people in this Facebook group. I don't know how many people watched it at uh, four o'clock in the morning, something like that, but some did. And uh, first, I know they were just drinking and so on, but then they started to grope at this woman. She was lying, you know, really, she was asleep or maybe unconscious, I don't know, but she was on a bed with all her clothes on. And But they suddenly, two of them, the Afghani guys, they started to take her clothes off and uh, I don't know exactly if they really raped her you know like an intercourse or if they just you know touched her in different ways but there were people actually watching this watching and calling the police of course saying are you aware there is a rape going on in this apartment we can all see it on facebook and, and they had a gun as well gunpoint yeah yeah i don't think it was a real gun but that really doesn't matter because you are it's very difficult to get hold of if you're not a, if you're a criminal you can get hold of guns in sweden if you're not a criminal, it's very difficult. I don't, I don't think it was a real gun, but they actually, you know, they were, they were playing with this gun and uh, really, really making this woman look really bad and threatening her. And afterwards, you could see on the, I've seen that clip. Uh, where the Iranian guy who has the apartment, he was like, you know, he was just laughing and he was uh, talking to someone who phoned him, who had seen him on this Facebook stream, calling him and saying, what are you doing? He said, you want to talk to the woman? Ha, ha, ha. And he was just laughing. Have you, you, oh yeah, you've been raped. Not by me. Ha, ha, ha. And when you see that, you get so crazy. What kind of animals i'm sorry but these are not men these are some kind of subhumans i don't know i don't know how we can treat anyone like that and i think this might be what really wakes people up i don't know yet we'll have to see they the three of them are now in custody uh but the police haven't they haven't secured the film from the actual molestation the rape or whatever happened they just have films from afterwards from when the police came to the apartment and so on so we will we will have to wait and see but you know why are they doing this how can they be so sure that they can do this without anything special happening to them well we've had a lot of cases like this you know gang rapes really really horrible things and a lot of these especially afghani guys who say they are 16 or 17 then you cannot be sentenced to prison in sweden you have to be over 18 years old to go to prison so if you say you're 17 and the authorities can't prove that you actually are like 24 or 5 or something like that they will send you to a youth prison and like for two or three months that's the sentence that's the punishment you get so do you think that they really you know hesitate no i don't think so they i mean if let's say that they come to sweden with a very with a view of women that women are like cattle something like that you don't have to you don't have to care about women's feelings they are just like cattle dogs or cats or whatever and then they come here and they see that some of their friends they actually rape someone they go to court and they give them two or three months in a youth prison do you think that they feel that this is horrible no they feel that the authorities say okay no big problem no big problem just you go on 
Well, and in their home countries, of course, a lot of the authorities don't view mistreatment of women with particular seriousness at all. So there is a kind of weird mirroring of those uh, cultures in the uh, approach that Sweden is is taking to some of these crimes. And the fact that uh, in the Swedish capital, half the women are now too scared to go out at night. Too scared to go out at night in your own city, in your own country uh, at a time. And I remember this very vividly from the last time we talked, Ingrid, that you were saying, you know, in the in the 70s, you know, it was a glorious place to be. It was so much fun. Uh, everyone had a great time and so on. And now to the point where, of course, Sweden is one of the rape capitals uh, of the world. And this is, uh, I mean, I think it's beyond the shadow of a doubt. This is a direct result of these uh, migration policies. But when you have... A country where rape is escalating to such a terrifying degree where half the women are terrified to go out at night. And the other half of the women, as with this woman, I, I hesitate to say anything that might be implicated as blaming the victim. But this is not very good self-protection to just no. go to strange men's uh, houses when you're drunk or stoned or, you know, whatever. I mean, she may have, she may have been roofied. I don't know. I mean, we will find out perhaps as, as things go along. But there is this very strange collapse of basic common law social norms that the Western world has been working on for a thousand years. Uh, this collapse, yeah. this this feeling of a foreign occupation within your own country, this fear of going out at night, and the reaction of the police giving you bracelets uh, with, with don't grope written on in Swedish, which of course wouldn't work even if the people could read Swedish who it was directed at. It yeah. is a very surreal nightmare, it seems to me, that Sweden is descending into, and it is... Um, it is hope against hope, and I, I feel that it's possible if we get the information out there for people to wake up and say, all of this is a choice. This is not inevitable. Everything can be changed. I, I saw this – we'll link this to this below. I saw this um, propaganda piece uh, directed at, at Swedish people saying, well, you know, they're here. We have to assimilate. Uh, it's, it's our job to assimilate to them as well. They can, nothing can be done. How defeatist is that? Everything is the result of a choice. If you don't like what's happening, change your choices. Yeah. Absolutely. And that is so. But I think that uh, a lot of Swedes have, you know, sort of given up. They, they, they actually believe this, that, okay, all these people are here. There's nothing we can do. Uh, we just have to adjust. We just have to take care of ourselves as, as well as we can. But that is, I, what I do in my podcast and so on, I always try to tell people, nothing is lost. We can change all this. There are a lot of people in Sweden who are not supposed to be in Sweden. They don't even, they are not here legally. They didn't even get asylum, but they don't go away from Sweden. There are lots of things we can do. We have not lost yet. I mean, all hope is not gone. There are so many things we can do. And that is my, you know, my main um mission telling people that everything is not lost but i think that is one of the problems that a lot of swedes think that first they didn't understand what was happening first they thought oh well it's not so much and uh, i will always cope and so on and now they are all over sweden it used to be you know the big cities and so on now it's all over sweden and now i think swedes have you know got this wow it's too late our country is lost. There is nothing we can do. But of course, there are so many things we can do. Uh, but, you know, I, I um, interviewed an, a Danish politician from the Conservative Party in in Denmark uh, a year ago, something like that. And he said one thing to me that is, it is so, of course, it's so simple. But when he said it, I was just, 
Wow. He said like this, a polit as a politician, you don't have the right to change the country entirely in one generation. And I just looked at him. You are so right. The Swedish politician, they didn't have the right to do this. Not without asking the people, is this what you want? I know a lot of people say, oh, you Swedes, you can have it. You, 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 you can just, you know, die out because it's, it's your fault. You voted for these politicians. But I tell you, we did not understand. We did not understand. We believe we are very, maybe you could call us gullible, naive, something like that. But you know, Swedes are used to trust people. And if our politicians told us there are not so many, it will never change Sweden. Be kind, be welcoming, give these people a chance. They will become Swedes just like you are. They have brown hair, brown eyes. Who cares? So people really believed it. Now, 30% of the Swedish population have some kind of foreign background. And only, you know, 40 years ago, we used to be one of the most homogenous countries in the world. So this has actually happened in one generation. And I totally agree with these Danish politicians. You, politicians don't have the right to do that. No, no as a politician, you are uh, in a custodian position. You know, like if uh, if you are a lawyer in charge of somebody else's money until they come of age, you can't just spend it the way you see fit. You are a custodian. You have an, that money was not earned by you, and and the Swedish culture and civilization was not earned by the current crop of politicians. They inherited it from very hardworking people who came before them. You don't have the right to fundamentally change your country even with the permission of the people in it, because no. you're making decisions for children in the future who no. aren't around and who aren't who are going to have to live in the demographic escalation of the choices that you make in the moment. Right now, uh, you know, 30% and so on, you know, within a generation or two, it could be 40 or 50%, uh, and then you might have a majority uh, of uh, Muslims. And uh, it's not that shocking to imagine that a majority of Muslims might feel more country, uh, might feel more comfortable uh, in a country with Sharia law, uh, might feel more country, uh, more comfortable in a country with... Uh, a caliphate-style uh, structure, I mean, that's not beyond the realm of imagination. It's not like that's never happened before in history or around the world. You, even if the majority of people do approve of it, even if they have the facts, which they don't, the truth, which they no. don't, they still don't have the right to make that decision for the children who come after them. No. I, I, I totally agree. I mean, Sweden and all countries, we are – this country, because of what our ancestors did, and we have an obligation against the coming generations, we cannot, even if, let's say, the whole people became crazy and they wanted to change everything, throwing everything Swedish out, saying, oh, we want Sharia law, that we, we've, we, we've been waiting for this for, you know, 20 years or something like that. No, you don't have the right to do that. You, you, you just, you, you're just borrowing the country from coming generations you have to keep the country we used to have stefan we used to have one of the best countries in the world everybody was admiring sweden maybe they said oh they're kind of kind of socialist social democratic maybe too much socialism for for you know the average american or so on but we used to have a wonderful country and in 40 years, they just threw it all away. And I'm sorry to say, but it's right. It's first now that most of the Swedes are waking up. And, and, and as I told you before, a lot of them who are waking up, they see it's already gone. And, and, and 
but I don't think it is gone. You never, you can never give up, never give in, never give up. Uh, but I think that is a problem. A lot of Swedes, they, they wake up and they see, oh, it's already lost. Well, that is one of these um, beliefs that if you believe it's true, it becomes true. If you don't believe it's true, it is not true. It is one of these self-fulfilling prophecies. It's like that old quote, uh, if you think you can or you think you can't, you're right for the most part. And so I would uh, urge people to rouse themselves from this uh, decay, from this laziness, from this degeneracy. Uh, And remember that uh, everything that we have is the result of people who fought hard to maintain it in the past, to grow it and maintain it. And now it's the job of the current generation. And they damn well better not fall down on that job, uh, because everything they enjoy, they inherited from people who worked damn hard to get it. Now, one of the things that is really quite astounding, uh, looking at some of these numbers, this is from 2015. There's an estimate, 583 billion kroner for the migrant crisis, for the cost of the migrant crisis, 14 times Sweden's entire defense budget, 14 times Sweden's entire defense budget, the leftist socialisty welfare state. I mean, that is the big prize. The, 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 the fundamental reason why this is all occurring, uh, in my view, uh, is because there are these refugee laws that, of course, we're only supposed to do to, um, uh, to handle a few people uh, a year. I mean, these were the very extreme circumstances, people who were fleeing uh, very uh, terrible persecution, who, who made their way to Europe, a, a, a trickle, a few people a year. So there's that aspect of things. And then the giant redistributionist welfare state, that is why people are able to come and stay in Sweden. If people show up in Sweden, even if they get in, and there's no welfare state, they can't stay because they can't get jobs, they can't find ways to survive and so on. So it's, to me, ironic that this manifestation of what was considered to be compassion, which was this giant welfare state, has now proved the giant pot of honey that is attracting uh, people all over the world. And it's not going to survive. Either way, the welfare state is done as a whole, because um, it's either going to be cut back to the point where people will self-deport back out of Sweden who can't survive there, Mm -hmm. or it's going to go completely bankrupt, Uh, in which case you are going to face a very – you either scale it back. And, and have a soft landing, or you run out of money, the checks stop being able to be cashed. And then what happens when you have a significant number of people who are restless, who are frustrated, who are rootless, yeah. who are not part of your culture, and the money runs out? Yeah. It's going to happen. Sooner or later, that is going to happen. And some days, I think, the sooner the better. Because if the welfare state goes down, and, uh, you know, most... Most Swedes actually work. I mean, we talk about we have high unemployment and so on, but that is not really true. If you are only talking about ethnic Swedes, the unemployment is not no more than 4%. But if you talk about the immigrants, or especially certain immigrants, the asylum seekers from the Arab world, the Muslims and so on, there may be 50 or 60% unemployment. Oh, let me just throw a little number in here. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, This is a Sweden state-funded broadcaster of 163 migrants who came to Sweden. Fewer than 500 have found jobs. 500 out of 163,000. Those were the ones that came in 2015 when we had the so-called refugee crisis. Yeah. And there have been many, you know, the authorities and the government don't want to talk about this. They have been saying to the Swedes for Ever since the refugee crisis, they've been saying, oh, there's a lot of people from Syria. And, you know, they are so well educated. Uh, people from Syria, they have 
high degrees. Uh, they're all well educated. And people were like, oh, really? And now we found out they just lied about that too. You know, I mean, they say they have um, high education after, I don't know what we'd call it, um, what's after high school? Oh, a university, a college, or trade school, or something like that. Okay, that would be high school then. They yeah. have um, they have a higher degree than high school. And then when you really, you know, look into it, you see that could be going to a madrasa, a school of Quranic teachings. Well, and, and if people show up without papers, how are you supposed to verify their education? You don't even know how old they are. You don't even know where they've come from. And, and somehow, magically, you're able to discern the level of education and its degree of compatibility with Swedish culture. I mean, it's who could take this seriously? Absolutely crazy. You know, our prime minister, Stefan Löfven, he has been saying over and over, we are so happy that all these Syrian refugees came because we need people in the healthcare. We need doctors, we need nurses. Uh, and they are so, there are so many people from Syria who have these great educations. And now I just read in one paper the other day that, you know, when you come to Sweden and you say, I am a nurse, and they say, okay, where are your papers? How can we see that you really have this exam? They say, oh, they were lost in, uh, mm. in the refuge when I went away. Okay, so they decided last year to make a test to, you know, people who say, I have this, um, this exam, but I can't show you the papers. So you will have a special test, which is the same test that Swedish nurses will have to do before they get their exam. And what happened? Four people managed to do the exam out of I don't know how many hundreds. And there were thousands of people claiming to be nurses, but there were like 400 who wanted to do the test. And out of those 400, I think it was like 20 or 30 who actually, you know, um, did it. Well, they assumed that they had to take the test in their own language. So even if they can pass the test in their own language, that doesn't mean that it's very useful to native Swedes who are speaking Swedish. Because, boy, if there's one situation you don't want to have translation errors, it's in healthcare. You know, oh, I thought yeah. you said to take this four times a day. You meant twice a day. Or I thought you said that yeah. this was the symptom. No, that was the symptom. <laughs> you need really, really, really great language skills in order to practice medicine, even more so than law and so on. And so even if 100% of the people had passed, it doesn't. it's still going to be years and years and years before they yeah. develop the language skills to be able to help in the local sector. And uh, I don't know if this happened in Sweden. I was just talking about this in another show, Ingrid, but... Um, uh, in the West, uh, where I sort of grew up in, in Canada and, and England, uh, there was all of this talk in the 70s and 80s. Uh, oh, you, you too many people, uh, zero population growth. You don't have kids. It's environmentally unfriendly. Or just have one and so on. And, and the world will be a much better place if you don't have as many kids. And so a lot of people took that route and didn't choose to have children or many children. And yep. so after decades of this, don't have kids, don't have kids, to suddenly be told, oh, well, now you see we need to bring in a lot of immigrants because there aren't enough people to support the welfare state and old age pensions and so on. It's like, wow, that's quite quite a bait and switch when you think about it. Yeah. And that is really, really interesting that you bring this up because we – the. Um, this week we have had a lot of uh, writings about two midwives. That's what you call it, isn't it? The one del delivering babies. Yeah. yeah. Two midwives going to court claiming or, you know, really wanting to have the right to uh, freedom of conscience. 
you know, not not being forced to make abortions. Mm. Because a midwife in Sweden, she, you are supposed to do both things, delivering babies and do abortions. Wow. And there is no such thing in Sweden as freedom of conscience when it comes to midwives. As a journalist, I have a freedom of conscience. Isn't that great? We have, as a journalist, I could say if I were, you know, with a newspaper and uh, the boss wanted me to go out and do some, you know, uh, PR story about some shop or something, I could say to him, no, this is against my conscience. This is PR. This is advertising. This is not journalism. But a midwife in Sweden, she doesn't have the right to say, I became a midwife because I wanted to bring babies into the world. I don't want to kill babies, or whatever you like to call it. I mean, end lives. That is really what it is. Even if it's not killing, we can have different opinions. No, no, about it's it. killing. It I is, mean, it, it, is, it is a viable life form on its way to uh, becoming a human being. Whatever philosophical differences people may have, you're ending that life. And don't give me this, my that. body, my choice. The moment there's a second heartbeat, it's not your body. The moment there could be a different blood type, the moment there's different DNA, it's not your body. But anyway, go on. <laughs> yeah. So these two uh, midwives, they actually, you know, they didn't, they can't get jobs, even though we really need midwives in Sweden. Mm. They can't, they will not get jobs because they refuse to do abortions. And so they went to court and there was a you know, all the newspapers wrote a few days ago, there is a big American anti-abortion organization, you know, helping these midwives. Ooh, everybody's supposed to be really scared because we all know about these American anti-pro-life organizations. They are so horrible. And this is actually, it's, it's so crazy. You know, Swiss have been so brainwashed into thinking that you are, you can always have an abortion. Uh but the actual, the really interesting thing is that uh, in America, your laws are much more, you can have, go, I mean, women in America, in certain states anyway, they can make, they can do an abortion up to, up until, I don't know, one or two weeks before the baby is supposed to be born. That's not the case in Sweden. I mean, in most of Europe, you cannot have an abortion after the 12th week. In Sweden, it's the 18th week, and you could also get up until the 22nd week if you go to, you know, the Board of Health and so on. That's quite complicated. But if it's a very, you know, some um, with, with a lot of diseases and so on, you mm. could get an abortion. But, you know, people in Sweden, they think that America... It's horrible. No one can get an abortion in America. It's upside down. Nobody knows what's going on. But the horrible thing, I think, is that in Sweden, you cannot, as a midwife, say, I don't want to kill babies. You don't get a job. That is, I mean, what an unbelievable violation of yeah. uh, one's, one's own conscience. Especially, of course, I assume you get into midwifery because you like babies, uh, not yeah. because you wish to end their lives no. and uh again this is just more state interference more state bullying now let me ask you this because gender relations in sweden is a pretty interesting topic to me and i've got a lot of messages particularly since our last conversation and this is not all swedish men obviously right but this is what and not even all of these men are swedish but this is some of the comments that i've had and i wonder if you could sort of give me your thoughts on this um in in europe as a whole the men seem to be much more skeptical about this mass migration uh, from um, 
Muslim or Arabic or Middle Eastern countries. The men seem to be a lot more skeptical, and the men are generally voting against it in, in many places. It's the women who seem to be keener on this mass migration. And the men, a lot of the men, are saying something along the lines of this. They're saying, well, we can't outvote the women. They're the ones who want it. They're the ones who keep voting for it. We try and, we try and tell them it's a bad idea. Uh, we try and tell them that uh, we should find some ways to limit this or minimize it or, you know, find out if this massive giant social experiment of mishmashing some challenging cultures together, if it's even going to work. But the women are like, nope, we are voting on our feelings. We have sympathy. We want to welcome refugees, little hearts and all that kind of stuff. And so some of the men are like, well, you know, so if the women end up in trouble, if the wind up, it's like, well, they voted for it. We told them uh, it's up to them to deal with it. We're not stepping up because they didn't listen to us at all. Yeah, that is a really big problem. We've been talking about this uh, in uh, our podcast that we do, me and my friend Conrad. We've been talking about this so many times. Why is it like this? And I think that, you know, there are a lot of studies saying that women are not, I mean, men are building societies. Women are tearing down societies. And uh, women are, I think, biologically prone to go with the, with the conquerors, hmm. uh, they. This is all the women's fault. Don't don't misunderstand me. I think I I know that the women have made this all by themselves. But this is what happened. The feminists have made all the men like to into you know weak men, sissies, men, Swedish young guys. I see they don't even know how to approach a girl anymore. They're so scared. They don't know. And then oh, oh comes along these Afghani boys, Somali boys, whatever they are. They are, you know, cheeky. They go up to a girl and they say, wow, you look wonderful. Can I have a date with you? And so on and so on. And as we are women, girls are girls, women are women, we like these kind of guys. We like the alpha males. So we don't like the Swedish guys anymore because we told them not to be like that. So they, they said, okay, if I Well, and also it, it can be dangerous uh, in this sort of politically correct world if the woman uh, has sex with you and changes her mind. There, there can be some significant, again, I don't know laws in Sweden, but there can be some significant negative consequences. So even the risks mm -hmm. of engaging in romantic relationships with, uh, with women in the West can be, uh, can be challenging. Very challenging. I, I mean, I I have a I know of a guy. He's sort of an acquaintance to me, a forty year old Swedish guy who who went to you know to a party and he fell asleep on a sofa and the next morning he saw a girl lying in the other sofa and he was you know kind of spooning on with her and uh, nothing happened. He was just uh, you know pushing himself onto her and then suddenly she you know she jumps out of the sofa. She yells rape. Nothing happened. He got one year in prison. While these Afghani or Somali guys, they get, you know, two or three months for gang raping a girl, abusing her, you know, beating her up. This Swedish guy, he didn't do anything. He was just spooning with the girl, you know, like this. Nothing happened. He got one year in prison. He's in prison right now. What, and what, what uh, then when he gets out, it's not like he can put it behind him because he has that record for the rest of his life. And he lost his wife. He lost his his uh, baby daughter. His his whole life is well, wrecked. I got to tell you, my my sympathy for him went just down a tiny bit if he's married and has a baby daughter and he's grinding up against some woman. I don't agree with jail, what? of course, but, but that, um, 
And not, that is not the very best behavior on the planet. No, it is not. And that's why he said he that he didn't want to pursue it because finally he sobered up and said, well, I have, a, I have a wife and a baby daughter, so I don't want to do this. So he just went back to his own sofa. And then the girl, you know, started shouting and so on. I don't know. I just wanted, with a story, I just wanted to tell you that the, the rule of law in Sweden is, is upside down. We have this new law saying that rape doesn't need to be a rape that what we normally call a rape it could be just you know someone you know spooning with another one but that is actually only for swedish men for the afghan guys and the somali guys the iraqi guys the iranian guys there are totally different rules the law we don't have one law for all we have different law because I don't know why they they maybe they don't really say it out loud but but I think they mean that Swedish guys should know better. Mm. You 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 have been brought up in this country. You know that you're not supposed to rape a girl or even come close to her or touch her or whatever. So you must go to uh to prison. But these guys from Afghanistan they don't know about this. Oh my God, what, what is happening? It's upside down. Well, and of course, at the same time, they say they're going to integrate fine while having different standards. Uh, you, you can't consider it diversity if people end up in different legal systems or in different, uh, partic- wildly different cultural systems. And in particular, I'm thinking about the, the what are called the no-go zones and so on, where Sharia law seems to be at least colloquially or socially uh, implemented it's not integration it's not diversity if everyone ends up in their own balkanized little bubble of culture and religion and mindset uh, it is uh, the shattering of a country i mean it's uh, sweden uh, is losing chunks of sweden just as france is losing chunks uh, of, of france and germany is losing chunks of germany and the other thing that i read that just was amazing to me just amazing to me so at a time when Swedish women are, are terrified to go outside at night. How primitive, how primitive. Uh, at a time when Sweden is uh, the rape capital uh, of the Western world, for sure. Sweden's largest trade union recently it was encouraging women to call a new hotline and report men who use the oppressive technique of mansplaining. Right, you know, you've heard of this term, right? Explaining things to women that women already understand. Now, Of course, when someone tries to explain something to me that I already understand, I say, no, 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 I already get this, so let's move on. But apparently, women who are empowered and feminist, just, they can't, they can't say that. They can't get men to stop talking. They can't get men to stop explaining things that, um, that women already understand. So they have to call a hotline and report these men. So at a time where gun-toting, Gang rapes are being live streamed on Facebook at a time when, what is it, 1400% increase in the uh, number yeah. of rapes uh, in, in Sweden at a time when women are afraid to go outside. The big problem is white Swedish men may be over explaining things to women a little. I mean, I, I don't even know what to say other than it seems to be a particularly blonde asylum where I don't know how to, to get people to understand just how far from reality this mindset has drifted. It's, it, it's astonishing and jaw-dropping from the outside, maybe even from the inside too, from your perspective. No, but it all fits, it, it all fits together, Stefan. You've got to understand that. Help so me, many help hor- me to understand. <laughs> <laughs> so many horrible things have been done to Sweden, to the people of Sweden. And they, the, the politicians, the journalists, the authorities, they will never, never back down and say, 
okay, we were so wrong. Mm. We did all this to you. Uh, we didn't know what we were doing. Maybe we did know. I don't know. But they will never do that. So they have to go on. And as things get more and more horrible, their excuses will become more and more bizarre. And that is, I always say that's a good thing because, uh, you know, one of these days is going to be so bizarre that no no one can ever believe it anymore. And I see that happening now. I see so many Swedish people just saying, what a load of crap this is. I don't believe in anything anymore. The only thing I'm worried about is that too many Swedes will say it's lost. You know, we have so many Swedes moving out from Sweden, moving to Spain, to Thailand, to France, to, I don't know, so uh, to Portugal, a lot of uh, Swedish retired people go to Portugal because the taxes in Sweden for retired people are so high that they we have so many retired people who are so poor they can't even afford to buy food those are the people that built Sweden Stefan this is so, this is such a disgrace every day we talk about it in our podcast how i I, I cry for these people, these old people. I just heard the other day about a 90-year-old woman. Her husband died. She, she sold the house, but there were too many, you know, debts to pay on the house. So now she has to leave her house. She has no money. She can't buy an apartment. She needs a rented apartment. And she talked to the municipality, telling them, I'm 90 years old. I don't need to go into an old people's house i just need my own apartment can you please help me they no all the apartments we have are for asylum seekers what a disgrace what kind of a country does that to their own retired people their old people the ones who built this country i am ashamed well, you know, and I, I agree with you, and I've, I've echoed some of the same sentiments. However, of course, there was a time when political correctness and creeping leftism, the, the cultural Marxism, could have been opposed in a much more peaceful manner. And uh, I'm not going to, you know, pull, throw all the old people on the bus, under the bus, but there was a time when these kinds of uh, information could have been fought against more strenuously. A lot of people in, in Europe and in the West as a whole took the kind of easy route of, oh, you know, fine, we'll give them the universities if they wanted so much. Fine, we'll give them the media if they wanted so much. Oh, fine, I'm not going to raise any trouble with my friends who are drifting left or anything like that. That's where the stand could have been taken. And if that stand had been taken, uh, Europe would be a very different place right now. So I don't agree individually that this kind of punishment, but there is a kind of generational uh, failure that occurred among the uh, baby boomers and maybe even the generation that came before where this stuff should have been fought uh, as the toxic mess that it is intellectually and verbally and, and with that kind of courage because the kind of courage that might be required now might be a little bit more uh, vivid, I, I guess you could say. So yeah. let's talk about the Sweden Democrats, the political yeah. party. Now, I'm going to step out on the pirate plank of hope here <laughs> because uh, I, I'm not, not sure what the most recent opinion poll is, but they have been doing fairly well. And they have, uh, the, I wouldn't say anti-migration, but they have some concerns uh, about the um, demographic displacement of, of native Swedes. And they seem to be doing quite well in opinion polls. Is this something that can help with this kind of problem? Do you think that they have any chance? 
Well, that's a difficult question because what happened uh, in our last election in 2014, we will have another one next year, 2018, uh, was that they got like 13% of the vote that time. So they they were like the third biggest party in the parliament. So you you might imagine that they had something to, you know, some some influence. No, 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 no. All the other parties, there are eight parties in the Swedish parliament and the seven parties, they decided to do everything to keep the Sweden Democrats out of the democratic system. They don't talk to them. They don't negotiate with them. They're just like, you know, we don't see you. We don't talk to you. You are, you are pariah. Um, now things are actually sort of things are happening because uh, the largest opposition party, the moderates, uh, they uh, are losing in the polls and the Sweden Democrats are going up, 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 up all the time. I think the last one I saw was they had 25%, by far the largest party right now. We don't know what will happen in 2018, but right now they are the largest party. After that comes the uh, the social democrats who are now in government and after that the moderates and the moderates you know during the last government they were so oh they were immigration is the best thing that ever happened but the new leader uh, she has been forced to change her policies so now what happened just a week ago she went out and said that well i think we have to start talking to the sweden democrats everybody was wow what are you saying? Are you going to talk to the Sweden Democrats? That is Sweden for you. All the journalists, they were even horrified. She's going to talk. She's going to normalize the Sweden Democrats. Uh, yeah. If, if that, if 25% of the Swedes think that they are the best party, you have to talk to them. Uh, hello? It's called, they're called Democrats. It'd be nice to follow that yeah. line of thinking uh, a little bit here and there. Then it seems to me that 2018 is literally do or die. I mean, if the, politi if the political solution cannot occur in uh, 2018, and it's going to have to be decisive, and it's going to be unpleasant to some degree. I mean, I know that they've talked, mm -hmm. uh, Swedish government has talked about um, uh, repatriating or deporting 80,000 migrants who have failed to show that they That's are. That's just a bluff. That's just a bluff. That's well, it's a bluff because they can't find them, yeah. right? 14,000 no. yeah. that are due for deportation have just vanished. I mean, of course, yeah. they're not going to show up. They're not going to show up to be deported. They're not. I mean, come on. It's just like, I don't even know. This is like, do you think you're dealing with a bunch of Canadians? I mean, this is not how it works. <laughs> they're, they're going to vanish into the no-go zones. This is, I mean, this is not complicated they're, they're because they don't want to go. Uh, they, I was reading about how relative to a um, – a salary in, say, Iran, you get 10 times the amount of income uh, on welfare in certain places in, in Europe relative. So, you know, let's say that um, your know, average Swedish income is, I don't know, like thirty or $40,000 or whatever. So if somebody offers you three or $400,000 to not work, uh, you're not going to, you know, it's just people respond to incentives. So this idea that this big deportation is going to happen, I mean, the amount of um, – uh, pressure that would need to be put uh, uh, on the uh, migrant community to produce these people to actually deport them would be um, something that would shock the sensibilities of the girly boys who pass for journalists in mainstream Sweden. Yeah, absolutely. But I think we will come there. Uh, I, I mean, for sure, 2018 is is um, 
yeah, the really crucial election, the most important election, like you said in America last year with the Trump election. This is this is do or die. You you this is the most important election that we ever had, or in this generation anyway. And I think a lot of Swedes know that. And I'm sure that the Sweden Democrats will be the biggest party in Sweden. I think they will maybe get up to 30, maybe more than 30 percent. The the only problem that I see right now is that maybe the Social Democrats and the Moderates, who are, they hate each other, but they might say, okay, let's form a government together just to keep the Sweden Democrats out of it. But I'm not so sure because even they can sense the reality. Even they, they, I mean, they know that they have done so much damage to Sweden. They know it. The problem is, are they going to admit it? Are they going to do something about it? Or are they just going to, you know, uh, let's get as much money as, as I can for myself and then go abroad? The left is not going to admit fault. The one thing I have no. learned in my half century on the planet is that leftists will always double down. They always escalate. They do not have the capacity to self-reflect and admit fault. I mean, look at the Soviet Union, which, of course, is a more extreme form of leftism, but it's on the same continuum. The end goal of socialism, as Lenin said, is, is communism. Um, mm. They had to wait for an entire social collapse to back down from their policies. Uh, I shouldn't say. In China, they did back down to some degree from their policies, uh, but that's only when they were facing uh, significant uh, social and economic collapse. Uh, same thing happened in India. But they will not uh, back down. And that's the beautiful thing. Because then what happens is there's no um, temptation to compromise. And this is what you're going to see okay. through, through Trump's administration. Uh, they will not back down. The wonderful thing about the Swedish media, as is true of the media in Europe as a whole, Ingrid, is they're going to continue to escalate. They're going to continue to scream racism at everyone uh, as if Islam is a race, which is, you know, just one of these fundamental <laughs> misconceptions. They're going to continue to escalate. And what they're going to do is they're going to, just as they did in America, they're going to drive their opposition underground and therefore they won't be able to see them and uh, people they're going to make themselves progressively more ridiculous and if there is common sense left in sweden and i think that there is very pragmatic bunch of people from the from the ones i've met including yourself of course but the left uh, in the media and in academia are going to screech this autistic nonsense that they do they're going to continue to pile uh, terrifying and ridiculous levels of verbal abuse on people who disagree with them and at some point they check themselves out of the social discourse and that's happened to the left uh, in America, now that they're continuing to escalate with all of this nonsense and lies and fake news after Trump is uh, shockingly doing all the stuff he said he was going to do. Wow. So I, I, and I encourage the left to do that. Don't back down. Don't uh, compromise. Continue to escalate. Continue to alienate. Continue to drive your opposition uh, 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 underground. Continue. Continue, continue to drive people away from you with hysterical verbal abuse. And that way, uh, the backlash might be enough to save things as they could be. Exactly. That's just what I say. The, the, the worse things get, the more bizarre these people on the left will behave. And that will make more people wake up and understand that they are the perpetrators. They are the ones who have killed our country. But it's not lost. We are going to take it back. Uh, we are Swedes. We are not so, you know, revolutionary people. We don't go out in the streets and scream like the French do or maybe, the, <laughs> I don't know. But we, we are not. We just, you know, we just... We just wait and we get angry and we clench our fists in the pockets. And, but, you know, there is a limit, even to Swedes. And I'm sure if, if things don't happen in 2018, 
maybe you will see some kind of, you know, really, not revolution, but you will see Swedes becoming really, really frustrated. If they, you know, if they just, you know, go together, like I said, the Social Democrats and the moderates, just, you know, keeping the biggest party out of any any decision making, any, you know, government, people will get crazy. I, well, as uh, Kennedy said, John F. Kennedy said, those who make peace or revolution impossible make violent revolution inevitable. So what's the yeah. last thing? Let, let me give you the last word here, Ingrid, um, because I know that a lot of people in Sweden are going to be uh, watching this. And as I mentioned just before we started the interview, our last chat in podcast and video form went over half a million views, which is a substantial chunk of people. And a lot of those people came from Sweden. I give you the giant podium, the spotlight, the searchlights, uh, and uh, give you the microphone for what it is that you really, really need to say to your fellow Swedes to help uh, help them save their country. Yeah. What I want to say is that don't ever, don't ever think that things are lost. We are Sweden. We are the Swedish people. And this is our country. And it belongs to us. And we are a very nice people. And we opened our hearts and our homes to people who don't really love us back. And we have been so loved by our politicians and the media and authorities and everything. But we can change it if you just you know if you just believe it we can change it and i want you to the rest of the world i want you not to say oh you can have it you stupid swedes you you voted for these politicians you can you can just go under we don't care please don't say that please do care about us and look at our example and don't ever go that way don't be so gullible don't believe what your politicians are saying and please help us and if you are interested in what's happening in sweden uh, me and my friend conrad who make a swedish podcast uh Every week, a lot of them, we will start doing an English podcast uh, or exact or really a TV show. Uh, from next week, I think we will do the first show and it, at, it will be called Norse News. So hopefully we'll see you there. All right. And we will put links to the podcast below. Please let us know when the uh, television show is up and running. We'll do what we can to publicize. Uh, Ingrid, uh, thank you so much. Uh, for this conversation and for the good that it's doing uh, the world as a whole. And I uh, really appreciate the courage it takes for you to do what you do uh, in Sweden. I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much, Stefan. It was a pleasure.